0: Hello and welcome to the I Can Do podcast with Benjamin Lee. We're here to talk about tips and strategies to have an I Can Do mindset when it comes to faith, family, fitness, and food. Let's go. Here's your host, Benjamin Lee.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of I Can Do. I am Benjamin Lee. Thank you so much for being a part of this show, taking your time to listen. I hope and pray that all is well with you. Today we have another special guest on the show, Caleb Churchill. Caleb is a devoted husband to his wife, Lindsay, and father to his three sons, Cyrus, Cyprian, and Zerio. He has lived in Indiana, Florida, Kentucky, and Alabama, but for the past eight years has devoted his life to the ministry of the Word in New York City. After living in the Bronx for five years and working with a bilingual church in West Harlem, Caleb moved with his family to Brooklyn, where he has spent the past three years ministering. Caleb and I were able to have a discussion talking about racism, talking about some of the events that have taken place here in 2020. This was actually originally for a congregation and for their youth lectures, which they recently had online, And I asked if I could use the content that Caleb and I had and share it here on my podcast. So we're going to be talking about, or already have talked about, racism and different things that all of us need to be aware of and can do. And hopefully this conversation will encourage you. It may may even open up your eyes to a couple of things maybe that you were not aware of. I appreciate Caleb. I appreciate his faith and his willingness to talk about this. So, I hope and pray that you enjoy the show. Here we go.
0: Hey guys, I'm Caleb Churchill. I'm here with my guy Benjamin Lee, um, coming to us live from the Golden Gate Bridge, it looks like over there <laughs> um, and, uh, in in Texas. Is in that
1: it? Yeah, I'm in uh, the great state of Texas near Dallas. Yeah. And I'm coming to you live
0: from my uh, plain bedroom here in Brooklyn. <laughs> I can't <laughs> But we want to talk to you guys today a little bit about um, the issue that has been plaguing our nation, um, caused all sorts of controversy, has caused all sorts of consternation in the church um, right now. We want to talk a little bit about racism. Um, So maybe just to get us started here, Ben, um, why are we talking about this again?
1: I mean, this this conversation, man, uh, keeps coming up. Why are we talking about this Well, Caleb, you know, the big thing, and you're right, we are, we have been talking about it quite a bit. I started looking back at some of the sermons and forums that I've been a part of since 2015. And and there's been quite a few. And typically, there's some when there is some kind of event that takes place. So why are we talking about it right now? It's because of what happened in Minneapolis with the with the murder of George Floyd. Uh, and the four police officers there. So that was a very, I think it's a very pivotal moment. When you think about 2020, we really are now experiencing two huge moments with COVID 19, and now all everything that's going on here with with the racial tension that's taking place in America, with police brutality. Uh, and then we're going to cap the year off uh, with an election. So it's going to be a pretty epic year. But unfortunately, but maybe also fortunately, you know, we have opportunities to talk. And I'm hoping that we can continue to talk about these things, not just when there's, you know, a tragic event that occurs, um, but um, talking about these things on a regular issue, a regular basis, rather. Yeah,
0: for real. And it certainly has been an in- interesting year, isn't it? And it? I don't think it's just... You know, we're kind of in a perfect storm with the coronavirus. And then it wasn't just George Floyd. It was Ahmaud Arbery. It was Breonna Taylor. It was all of those kind of coming ahead. You got yeah. video coming out. You got uh, you got somebody getting killed in her home. Another one while jogging. Another one, you know, yeah. with just a terrible video. All of that coming together at once.
1: Well, and, you know, with, with Ahmaud Arbery, I remember when I was on Facebook, uh, I'm not on social media anymore uh, we could definitely talk about that as well, especially for young people, and and really for everybody with how we navigate and have these conversations. But I remember that first time where I saw what took place or what happened to uh, Ahmad Aubrey. I saw someone post something, and I was just kind of confused because it said I think February twenty fifth. I said, "Well, what's going on with this?" And so just learning about you know how that had taken place three months prior. Yeah. But with the George and there was video with that as well. Right. And that video is very hard to watch. And then with everything with George Floyd, the fact that it was the what took place happened for such a long time, right. Eight or nine minutes. And just how nonchalant the, the police officer was. I think not, I think I know everybody, uh, everybody who saw that. That's why I just think it, I don't want to say a tipping point because there's been other events and and tragic, uh, lives lost, but there was something about that moment that I think really got the ball started. I don't recall doing tandem lessons or being invited to do tandem lessons talking about this, even with some of those other events, at least this year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely been a crazy year. Um, so tell people just a little bit about, um, your life and your experiences. I mean, sure. w- one of the unique things about you and I is, uh, that both of us are in situations where at least in our churches, we're in the minority. Um, you in Texas, um, are at a majority white church. I'm here in Brooklyn at, uh, at a pretty diverse church, but certainly not a majority white church. Um, and, uh, and I, live, and I live here in a neighborhood that is, that is almost entirely non-white. So, uh, so so let's talk about, like, what are some of your experiences that you've had and things, maybe deliberate choices that you've made or things have happened in your life that has helped you to really develop close relationships with brethren who are different from you, particularly racially different from you, um, because obviously you, you've got a lot of relationships, close relationships with people. Who 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 are white, um, and that's unusual. I mean, studies say that the average white person has, out of a hundred friends, has one black friend, and and the number for for the average black person is not much higher than that for the for the number of white friends out of a hundred. Yeah. So, uh, so you've obviously learned some things along the way or experienced some things that led you to have close relationships with uh, brethren who are different than you. What what are some of those experiences that were impactful for you or helpful?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I was born in Central Illinois, <clears throat> and I went to the University of Illinois. My my dad was not around really growing up. Uh, my dad was a he was an alcoholic. He was uh, physically abusive when he when he wasn't drinking. He was uh, I think a really good really good man, and I'm thankful that before he died he died at the age of 59. We were able to to reconcile. To, to really have a relationship. And that didn't really start probably until my junior year in college. So I'm really thankful looking back, you know, you think about Timothy and, you know, his mother and his grandmother and just how they had a big impact on him. And I think I can say the same thing about my life as well. My mom uh, obviously taught me how to work hard and my grandmother was there as well. Uh, got a lot of whoopings uh, from Granny. I don't know if that happens much today in our society, but it was something that was uh, something that was well needed uh, for me. But Caleb, just thinking back, I grew up in a really small church, and when I say small, I'm talking about ten people. All right, so we didn't have BBS, we didn't have Bible classes. We we had one. We had one cup. Uh, you know, it was just you know, I don't know what we were. We were we were maybe uh, ultra conservative, right? So. Um, but, and I never heard anything, never knew anything about conservatives or liberals or anything like that. But I guess just thinking back to my mom, I think it was just for my mom. My mom had lots of friends, uh, black friends, white friends. Um, my sister had lots of friends, black friends, white friends, Asians, you know, it was just, uh, we just seemed to connect with people. And so there was never really an issue Um, You know, sometimes that can happen. That can happen among um, uh, black families sometimes because of uh, bad experiences where there's there's trust issues. Uh, There's trust issues. And I know of uh, young black people, too. Sometimes, you know, they're they're taught by their parents. You know, you can't trust white people. Um, And so my school was was diverse as well. And maybe one big thing, my mom, I remember, I don't remember at all, but just kind of talking about marriage, you know, she did mention she doesn't matter, she, it didn't matter who I married as long as she was a Christian. So she only had like one stipulation uh, that they needed to be a Christian. That, that's what she always urged. So um, looking back at it, and that's a great question, looking back at it, there was a time we actually drove to Indiana. That's a whole uh, video session, but we would drive there for worship because they had one cup. And I think everybody at that congregation, again, it was small, but I think everybody was white there. Um, so I don't know. It was, just, it was just something that was just kind of a, a part of life. And eventually I moved to Rockford, Illinois, and that was a predominantly black congregation. And sometimes people get uncomfortable with talking about black churches and white churches. It's not necessarily sinful for churches all white or all black or all Hispanic. But describing the situation, that's all we're trying to do. So there were a few white, uh, white brethren there at that church. Um, and it, for me, it worked out It worked out fine. That was never really an issue. And then in the process of time, my wife, Nikki, and I, we got married, and then we moved to Columbia, Missouri. And we actually visited a church that had a black preacher and a white preacher. And, but for some reason, we didn't stay there. I think we went once, and then we visited another congregation uh, that was predominantly white. And it was there. Was, I think there was one uh, black brother. There's a college student. And so we ended up placing membership there, Caleb. And, you know, we, we just felt instant love. Uh, we started sitting with the preacher and his wife, or at least with her while he's preaching. And in about three, four months, I think everybody had us over at their house. And that congregation had such a huge influence on me going down the path of preaching full time. And the congregation before that black congregation before in Rockford, I had a big influence as well. The preacher there gave me opportunities. And then this congregation in Missouri. So it's been, we've kind of been on this journey of, I've been a part of an all black congregation an all white congregation. Then when I went to Dowland road in Beaumont, Texas, it was almost 50% black and 50% white, which is unheard of, especially in Southeast Texas. And you've been there a couple of times. And so you know, I remember there was a, a white lady and a black man they were dating or maybe they were married and they, they visited one Sunday and they just said, man, we just really just really appreciate what's going on here. We just felt so comfortable. Uh, they had visited some other churches. Uh, I don't know what, what kind of church it was, but they, they didn't feel comfortable. They, they didn't feel welcome. And so for me, it's just kind of been this journey. And honestly, there really hasn't been like, at least for me, a moment where I said, OK, you know, do I really want to go here because there's no black people here or because there's only black people here? That was really never a big issue for me. And I know that can be different for other people. Uh, I talked to a brother last week on a, on a phone call and he shared it with me, it was back in the early eighties and churches didn't really like down road. There were no blacks there until I think 1978 or maybe 1980. And so we're not talking too long ago, uh, because I can remember talking to one of the preachers there and there was a couple of black women that walked in and then when they looked around, there was no black people. And so they, they left, you know what I mean? And so, uh, they were encouraged to come back. And so it's, it's been something new with having this mixture of people, but it really hasn't been, it really hasn't been too big of an issue for me. So the biggest thing for me, and I, I want to hear from you as well, it, it's really just been, all right, is a congregation teaching the truth. And and there's always been some reason as to why, you know, we ended up at this congregation. Um, and so I don't know. My situation is different than you being in New York and Brooklyn. What about you? I think your your mic is your mic is muted.
0: I think so I think you're right about that. Um, there's a lot of uh, experiences that I don't think I really chose. They were just, you know, they were just part of growing up. I, I, I remember my parents growing up had a special concern for um, people who were either foreigners who were new to a place or people who just were outsiders. They always had a, a, a concern about for people like that and took a special interest in people like that. And I think I learned, learned a lot of that from them, just like you did from your mom.
1: So their concern was more like in a positive way of yeah, making sure that they were being treated fairly?
0: yeah absolutely, right. and just to make sure that they weren't lonely that they weren't left alone when they came in. Yeah. um I also remember like when I was young, getting picked on a lot, um both for being short and also for uh not not dressing like the cool kids did you
1: know'm uh, so, uh, sorry about that.
0: yeah so i i think um I think that had a big impact on me when I was young um and affected my just the way I looked at people who 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 might be more uh, more typically like pushed aside or whatever? This, still, though, the race stuff—I don't think that was um, really anything that was even conscious much until I went to gr- went to college. Um, I, I mean, the, the town I grew up in was just one percent black, um, maybe like ten percent Hispanic, and the rest was white. So no. it didn't really have like a big diverse group of friends growing up. I did have some, um, but not a lot. I think probably the biggest thing that impacted me was moving to places where I was a minority. Mm-hmm. Um, and after spending some time in grad school at the university of Kentucky, studying the history of race and religion and the interplay between the two, then um, my first job I took was teaching school in South Alabama. Yeah. Um, and uh, I moved to a County that was 55% black. And I worked at a school where the students were 100% black. I mean, it was an all black school. Um, for two years down there. And so learning to live as a minor as a minority, um, I think had a big impact on me. Also, huh? I met a kid in college from New York um, yeah. who uh, who brought me to New York City and coming up here and learning to live as a minority here for five years in the Bronx, where uh, the largest group in the neighborhood I was in was 40 percent Hispanic. Yeah. Um, and then now in Brooklyn, where my neighborhood is 86 percent black um, and like and like seven percent Hispanic and only three percent white. You, being a minority actually teaches you a lot about caring for other people who are minorities yeah. in difficult situations.
1: I, I want to go back. You mentioned something uh, when you were in Alabama, and you know, you it was pretty much an all black school walk us through how you felt or if you felt anything or did, did things, did, did, things become more aware? Did you feel like more people were looking at you? And the reason why I think this is important, especially for young people who are listening, what you've done and I guess what I've done as well is something important. You know, when it comes to churches, we're not trying to find a church where everybody looks like us. We're trying to find a church that's teaching and preaching the truth. And so, you know, kids who are going off to college, whatever the case may be, but just walk us through when you were in Alabama, you know, what were some of those feelings? If any, did you hear any, you know, negative, uh, comments from people or what was that like? Oh, of course. Of
0: course. I mean, I mean, so not only was the student body hundred percent black, they had, most of them had had never had a black teacher a white teacher. Um, so, and then you get this young kid coming in and there's actually three white new teachers that year that came to the mm-hmm. school. Um, and uh, so, I mean, yeah, we heard all kind of stuff. And, and just like, and, and, you know, not only like the kids getting upset or frustrated and, and saying like racial stuff, but also like, um, you know, just kids that had never been around a white person before, yeah. uh, who are then like, you know, just learning about uh things that are very different from uh from the way they they were it was it was definitely an eye-opening experience for sure Well,
1: you're touching on something too and i know we're kind of we're hitting a couple of different things and so you can reel me back in but what's interesting with what you said there when was that was that in the 90s then no i was 2009 right. you're really young yeah. <laughs> yeah so in 2009 um so think about my like you, bro. <laughs> hey man, come on. All right. So that's interesting because there was a lot of young black uh people who who had not had any experience with whites. Right. And I remember talking to a brother in Christ here after the George Floyd event because I ended up having about almost 30 conversations with people, and he shared something with me. And and I appreciate his honesty and vulnerability where there was some fear where he said, you know, I've never really had a conversation with a black person or a black brother in Christ about any of these issues. And I think what we're going to get at here, and if there's something for people to take away from this, you're only, that's only 11 years ago. And, and even now, I remember when I did a forum in, um, in a, um, at a congregation back, I think it was in 2016. um, One of the members there had shared the same thing. You know, we went over there to his house for, for lunch and i don't know if you have really had a conversation with a black person and so it's not to say that his heart was evil uh, or even the the children at that school it's just a whole new experience and so i think for for young people here's a great opportunity to to get to know everybody to be willing to take those steps to to talk and to learn and i know that doesn't necessarily solve everything but there has to be some kind of communication and there has to be some kind of dialogue, even if it's uncomfortable. Cause I told the brother, he said, man, I'm afraid I might say the wrong thing. So, well, it's okay. I mean, we'll, we'll work our way through it. And yeah. I think that's something else that holds a lot of people back. Even a conversation like this, you and I have a relationship. Uh, but a lot of people get nervous about, man, I, I just don't want to say the wrong thing. And I think that's out of good intentions which is really good. You know, you think about, um, you know, just trying to be, you know, careful with our speech, but that's, I I just wanted to ask you about that because I thought that was, I thought that's a pretty powerful thought, you know. Well, and
0: since you brought that up too, I'll just say, um, almost every person of color that I talk to, and you can tell me if you disagree with this, um, but almost every person of color that I talk to says, hey, silence is the killer. Like, Speak up, make mistakes, talk to me and say the wrong thing. That's far better, far better than just being quiet about it. And I think you're right. I think there are a lot of white people who are saying, like, hey, um, I'd love to be a part of the solution, but I'm afraid to say the wrong thing and make things worse. And you maybe you can speak to that too. But my experience has been that my experience has been that almost almost every person of color would say, no, I'd much rather have the conversation and you say the wrong thing
1: and yeah. let's work through it. Um, so there's a couple of thoughts in Acts chapter 18, when Paul was in Corinth in Acts 18 and verse nine, it says, And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in the city. Now I know that I was talking with respect to, to sharing the gospel evangelism, Paul's work as an apostle. I I do like this idea, though, from it, do not be afraid any longer. You know, where you think about Peter in Galatians chapter two, he feared the party of the circumcision. You know, he was afraid to to talk. He was afraid, okay, what are they going to think, you know, if they see me with these Gentile brethren? And I think there's something here, this idea of a go on speaking. And I think a lot of the current events, and especially maybe even social media, you know, has caused a lot of people to to become somewhat afraid. Maybe a lot of white brethren become somewhat afraid of. You know, I had a lot of people just asking me, you know, how can I help and what can I do? And so, and I don't have all the answers as well. But I think something like what we're doing is is something good. And then even for even for blacks, something I think is important to understand is being willing to listen and being willing to if someone does say something, helping them in a manner that, in a manner that's godly and, you know, correcting them because these conversations can get really tough and there's something and not trying to brag or anything like that, but the fact that people reached out to me and wanted to ask me questions as, as a black brother in Christ, that made me feel good because it made me feel like, all right, they, they have some confidence or at least they feel comfortable talking. And I know you've had a lot of conversations, you and I have had a lot of conversations and, and maybe even like 1 Corinthians 13, uh, love, love thinks the best or love believes the best, especially when it comes to our brothers and sisters in Christ, where we can have these conversations. And there is that room where if something is said and it's inappropriate or off base, it doesn't end a relationship. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. I think
0: one of the big things that will help a lot here, too, that we need to be reminded of, is the way Paul went about developing relationships uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, where he talks about, um, though I'm free and belong to no one, I've made myself a servant to everyone, yes. to, many, to, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. So this this I think is really critical here um, because it's not just about spending time in spaces where I'm not the majority. It's also about learning to live like other people and learning to live with other people who are different than me. Um, I, 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 talk a lot about this cause it's important to me and I've noticed the impact it has on others too. Um, learning to eat like people le- eat who are different than you, um, yeah. learning to speak the language that people speak, uh, in order to connect with people on a cultural level, uh, level. You'd be shocked, um, at the impact that that has. Uh, when I started visiting the Bronx in 2006, I learned Spanish, uh, so that I could talk to the brethren and to my neighbors there in, in the Bronx. And now that I'm in Brooklyn, I'm trying to learn a little bit of French and Creole and even working <laughs> on a little bit of Arabic. Wow. Because even though I'm never going to be fluent in those languages, yeah. uh, I don't need to be. Uh, I, I, I like to say it this way. People just want people are not asking you to become exactly like them or to give up your culture and become theirs. They just want to be surprised that you care enough to learn a little bit about yeah. them. Yeah, um, I was with the Nigerian this week and, and, and she was shocked when I talked with her about eating fufu. And I was like, you know, this is, but, but, but those kinds of things break barriers down. Being willing to say, you know what, I'm not going to make you come to my house and I'm not going to make you eat what I eat and talk about the things that I want to talk about. I'm going to go to you. I'm going to live like you. I'm going to go into your home. I'm going to live with you. I'm going to eat what you eat. I'm going to talk about the things that are important to you is, I think, really, really important if we're actually going to break some of these barriers down and work towards, uh, towards bridge building.
1: Well, and that, that makes me think about Acts chapter two, where the brethren there, you know, you in Acts chapter two, you had just, you just had this openness. You had, yeah, yeah. uh, they're, they're going house to house on a daily basis. Certainly there's going to be new relationships forming. And then I think about Acts chapter 10, when Peter he had a vision and the spirit had to tell him to go to the house of Cornelius uh, just to get him there. And, yeah. and and finally he figured it out. And something I've been talking about is, you know, he preached the, the first sermon on the day of Pentecost. You know, who, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And yet it, it still took him time to truly understand. And that's why I think it's so powerful where he said in, in verse 34, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. It took him time truly understand but then that what you're talking about here and I think this is something this is a tangible thing that we can do as brethren at that the last verse in Acts chapter 10 he, he stayed on for a few days that would have changed that changed everything we know that it did because in the next chapter he basically gets attacked by the Jewish brethren saying you ate with Gentiles what are you doing Right. So and I think that's kind of what you're touching on, too. And so if you think about it from from our relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, getting comfortable with with having people over and getting to know people. And like what you say, you may not you may never be fluent, but just taking those little steps goes a little goes a long way to help people to see, you know what? they're, You know, he's thinking about me or she's thinking about me. You know what I mean? Right. Let me ask you this,
0: are are there, what are some of, like, the greatest hindrances that you've seen to um, racial reconciliation in churches? Um, Like, what is it that's keeping black brethren and white brethren and Hispanic and Asian brethren from being one in Christ? What have you noticed? Have you noticed things that you're seeing happening that actually, like, increase the divide rather than, than, like, build? are there things that people are doing that are actually, like, Building barriers rather than building bridges uh, to to repair relationships.
1: Well, I know what you know. What you're saying here is very important, and the idea of uh, building bridges is key. Uh, let me just start with that. I think one thing to think about uh, as preachers, like you and me, you know, we need to we need to talk about this. We need to. It's a matter of the heart. Racism is a matter of the heart. Uh, even leadership among congregations understanding. You know, these are issues, you know, to to address uh, and we can do that from the word of God. So I think that's something important. And so I think that would be one answer to your question where, you know, it may not necessarily be a challenge at a particular congregation, but there's still things to to remind people of. Yeah. Uh, there, you know, there's there's still things for us to talk about when it comes to all of this. And so and it may uh, be a bigger challenge than we realize
0: because we don't talk about it, too.
1: Well, and that's the thing, right? Where we can, yeah, there 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 can be a challenge with that. It's uncomfortable. It's what you call a crucial conversation. So on one hand, you always want to think the best of your brethren. First Corinthians chapter thirteen. You're going to have to do a lot, Caleb, to to make me think. Yeah, Caleb doesn't like me, or you know, Caleb is just acting. You know, why is he acting this way towards me? You know what I mean? And 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 so yeah but it, it can be uncomfortable right. and it, it but it's something that we have to address and look we talk about with you know these lectureships we talk a lot about a lot of things whether it's alcohol or sexual purity whatever the case may be and and so we we should be able to address this as well i remember back in 2016 when I did a uh, lectureship on this, I asked, it was with college students, and I asked them, do you think things are getting better or worse? And I just automatically assumed they would say better. Uh, but one of them said, no, it's not getting better. And some of them shared with me, you know, among, among brethren, young people of that congregation, you know, how certain jokes were being made uh, yeah. about blacks, you know, from, white, from young white brethren. And so there are some things that still, there's still room to grow. Uh, yeah. Make no mistake about it. And, and I know that because one of the sisters, one of the young girls, she, she shared that with me. Um, and, and so I'm not trying to make anything up. It, there are still things that we need to to certainly talk about. Uh, one of the biggest things that I have seen has just been conversations and just learning how to truly listen. And, and we don't always have to have an immediate response, but just learning how to, to listen and, to, and to, to really seek first and, you know Acts fifteen, there was a major doctrinal issue with respect to, you know, uh, circumcision being necessary for salvation, or that's at least what some were saying, and and so they had to have a, a you know this huge meeting to talk about this. And one of the things that I love from that, um, I'm not trying to compare it exactly like that, but the brethren were able to to listen, and they were able to hear Peter and Paul and others speak, and I think there's something important there. Um, you know, so for me, what have I seen? That's a, that's a tough question. Uh, personally, what have I seen? You know, first of all, um, (laughs) growing up in a church of only 10 people, I saw the same people every day because they're all part of my family. Uh, I do remember my dad often talking about the white man and how he was angry with the white man. And I, I, I didn't always understand what he meant by that. And I don't know, I don't know how much he really ever shared with me with that. Uh, When I went to the the congregation in Rockford, Illinois, um, if there was something going on, uh, and I don't think I ever heard any sermon on racism. I don't think I ever heard any Bible classes on racism. I don't think I heard that at all. And I don't think I heard anything like that in Columbia, Missouri, either. Uh, It wasn't until Beaumont, Texas, where I started to see more of that, you know, discussion, I guess, and then even being a part of it with me, you know, doing some things. So uh, one of the greatest hindrances, though, some of the challenges, I think part of that is the past. Yeah. You know, when I was in Beaumont, Texas, uh, I learned about the idea of white flight, how after the schools were desegregated, many whites moved out of Beaumont. And so there's a town called Lumberton, uh, which is about 15 minutes from there. And so a lot of whites moved out to, to Lumberton. And um, and I'm sure there were some brethren who did the same as well, um, just thinking about that time. And so I talked to a black sister, I remember, a few years ago, and there's a, a white sister there in Lumberton. And I asked, you know, if this, if this sister invited you over for, for dinner, would you go to Lumberton and have dinner with her? And she said, no. And I said, really? And the Black Sister said, no, I wouldn't go there. And I said, well, why not? And she said, well, they don't don't want us there. And she said, look, I I would meet her anywhere else. I'd meet her in Beaumont. I'd meet her halfway, you know, but just not there. Now, for those years, I'd been going to Lumberton for devos, for discussions, and things like that. So I think part of the challenge sometimes is the past. So your experiences, Caleb, are totally different than mine. I don't recall being bullied in school or people saying things about me um, in the way that that happened to you. So that changes our perspective with certain situations that we may find ourselves in. Um, So I think one hindrance is the past and experiences that we've had. Someone's been hurt. That that plays a big role. Right. That plays a big role. Uh, I, I do think on that point too. Um,
0: you know, maybe not addressing the past in a healthy way, and not addressing yeah. like the ramifications of that past on pre- on present
1: day realities, is a big part of the struggle there too. Um, what might be a healthy way of what might be a healthy way of uh, of addressing the past? Because I got a, I got an idea with a danger that can happen
0: yeah well i think I think at least um being careful to investigate um from the perspectives of other people, gotcha. what has history been like? how has it affected them for example like uh for example like when i was when I was in uh South Alabama, that school that was all black had been all black because of Jim Crow because of segregation it yeah. it had, they they never integrated. Um, and not only that, but there was uh in the school system there that the the superintendent's office was completely white. In fact, a, until I moved there in 2012, they had never, even though it was a majority black county, they had never had a black county white official in that county. So which is just astonishing to think about. I think sometimes we think about the past, well, that's like slavery, like all that stuff. Jim Crow, it's like yeah. that's so far away. Like, yeah, why are people still upset about that? Yeah. Well, truthfully, a lot of the ramifications and a lot of the impact of that is still going on in our world today. My students at that school yep. got, got the worst books, and many of them didn't have books mm-hmm. because the, all the resources were poured into the white schools in that county, and yep. to the point where my first day on the job, one of the people in the superintendent's office said to me, hey, you know, I had a class I was teaching. I didn't know what it was called, so uh, or I didn't know what I was supposed to teach in it, so I was like, hey, what do I teach in this class? And, and one of the ladies in the superintendent's office said, hey, well, you're not really teaching them. These kids don't want to learn. You're really just a babysitter anyways, which, of course, was racist lies. Um, but those kind of stereotypes are persisting because we haven't really dealt with the past. Yeah. And I think a lot of that kind of lingers in the church, too. You were talking about. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I No, I think you're exactly right. And what you're saying is powerful. And it's it's uh, it's really sad, too. You know, I. Um, you know, just hearing all that, you know, back, I think it was back in the early 1900s, you know, there were white brethren who converted blacks and but they wouldn't let them worship with them. That's right. So they, they built black buildings or buildings for the black members. So, you know, people ask, why are there so many different churches that are, you know, made up of one uh, particular uh, race or group? And it's uh, there's a ripple effect. And what you're saying is so true that we're all to some degree affected by this ripple effect. Where everything, you know, it, it, it's been very, you know, the, the changes that have taken place, you know, so much of them have, have been, have taken a long time. And, and yeah, there are those challenges. I remember, you know, before Down Road, I'm not picking on Down Road either. I love the congregation. I just learned, like my eyes were opened about race when I was there because I just, I don't know if, I, if it just wasn't an issue for me in Illinois or if it was and my mind was just kind of oblivious to it. But as I, you know, I did so many talks and sermons on race. I just, I almost started interviewing people, and you know, there were challenges among brethren. You know, where white brethren would say, "Okay, if blacks come here, what are we going to do? Are we going to let them stay?" I mean, so that should never be a question. Like today, if somebody walks into your congregation or somebody here in Louisville, it's not a question of like, "What are we going to do?" You know, if they're a different skin color. Um, the other thing too, I'll say this, that there are still some mentalities that are separating blacks and whites. So, you know, I, a brother had shared with me, my name had come up in a gospel meeting. I guess the church is pro- probably or most likely, oh, it is, uh, predominantly a white congregation. And my name came up and, uh, what the brother shared with me was, you know, when my name came up about a gospel meeting, you know, someone said, well, I don't, I don't know if people would be comfortable with Ben. Well, Why is that? I can only think of really one reason. And so we're not talking about 1950s or 60s or 70s. Right. I didn't start preaching until 2009. So, you know, we're not talking about things that are going on a long period of time. I talked to a, you know, Hispanic brother and he had shared some things with me with, you know, um, you know, a brother at a congregation, you know, he was very truthful with them. You're not we're not really comfortable and ready to have a Hispanic preacher. Well, you know, the gospel's for all, man. And, yeah. you know, you're preaching the word, you're preaching the truth. And I know some people may view that a little bit differently, but you don't really see that too often, do you, Caleb? I mean, your situation out there is unique. And I think the opportunities that I have had, and I think part of that is there's still there's still some mentalities that that can persist. They may not and and you, you can speak on this. I'll ask you this question as well. I don't think most brethren are racist. I think one of the big things we struggle with may be like implicit bias where these things uh, you know whether you know we, we may not even be aware of some of these blind spots that we have and and that's one of the things I try to talk about as well that, that can be some hindrance as well where a, a person that you know a lot of people aren't talking to different people so right. that naturally can bring up some 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 division at times what yeah. what do you think i i mean would you agree with that that i think the brethren that i've been around and certainly there's there's room but i think implicit bias is is probably something more you know to touch on than saying okay well you know so many of the brethren are racist. What, what do you yeah. think about that?
0: Well, um, as I'm talking about in the, uh, in the discussion on race, the other video that we're doing, I, really, the root of racism is pride. It's the belief that, I, that I'm better than you, that I'm, that I'm above you, that I'm superior to you. And, and I think at, at a fundamental level, who hasn't been guilty of that? Like we may, it may, we may not have said I'm better than you because of your skin color. We may have come up with some other reason, you know, in some parts of the world, I'm better than you because of the size of my nose, or I'm better than you because of the language that I speak or the tribe that I'm from, or I'm better than you uh, because, you know, because of how much money I have or how, how little money I have or whatever. You know what I mean? There's all kinds of other things, but at the root of, of, of racism is this pride and I do think that it is a larger problem than we want to admit. And I'll just say this. I, I've heard preachers admit and preachers have admitted to me, uh, of, uh, telling race, racist jokes. Um, and, uh, and I've, I've seen, I've been at, at, at gatherings with preachers where I've heard people say very insensitive racial comments or, or, or jokes. Um, you know, I've heard, uh, I've heard people of color in churches who've told me that they've been called the N-word more times than they could, uh, could even count. Um, you know, so, I mean, I, I do think it is a serious problem, but I think you're right. There are a lot of people that their struggle is not primarily racism. Like, they're not overtly racist. Yeah. Um, but there's such a lack of understanding that yeah. it keeps them from being able to, uh, to really be a part of building bridges to, to reconcile and bring unity among brothers and sisters. To the point you made a minute ago, too, I just want to say, uh, don't ever grow satisfied with the division in the church today. God never called for there to be separate Jew and Gentile churches. Um, And when the Jewish saints were having a hard time getting along with their Gentile brethren in Rome, Paul had the perfect opportunity in his letter to the Romans to say to them, hey, you know, this would be a lot easier if you guys would just start separate churches, have a Gentile church and a Jewish church. And he did not say that. He didn't do it. He told them, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. Learn to live with each other. Learn to love one another. Do the hard work of, of, of accepting one another and not condemning and not um, judging one another, but rather accepting each other just as Christ has accepted you. Yeah. And I think, I think it's important for us to remember um, that this division that we see in churches today, it doesn't come from reading the Bible. It doesn't come from the scriptures. Yeah. It's come from a corruption of Christianity in our culture that has persisted for 400 years in this nation. Yeah. Um, they're, and you got to be a part of changing. Yeah, your point
1: from uh, Romans is really good. And what we've been saying to, you know, let's not build up walls. You know, let's right. let's let's. Um, Let's be the pioneers. Um, our brother in Christ uses that language a lot. I know you've used that language, I believe. I'll give you two examples of what this will look like. So there's a young black sister. She was in uh, going to a university in Beaumont. She must have seen my photo on, online or something like that. So she came to the congregation because she told my wife. She just she just assumed it was a black, black congregation because if there's a black preacher, what does that mean? And that often happens in evangelism, right? So if you invite someone, Caleb, to worship services, their mind is already thinking. So if you invite a black person, their mind is already thinking it's probably an all-white church. And when I invite a white person, their mind is thinking it's probably an all-black church. I don't know if I'm going to feel comfortable. And it's not because they're necessarily racist. It's just how it is, even in 2020. So when she walked into the doors, she was shocked. She, she, she looks she looked around. She's like, I can't believe there's so many black and white people here. And then another story, I did a class called Navigating Cultural Storms. And so for a month and I was uncomfortable at times. But we talked about race. We talked about different um, situations. So a, a sister told me about some family in uh, I think Maryland. They had moved out there. There is a black church about five, 10 minutes from where they were. They didn't know, though, if we went there, how would they be welcomed? So there is a more diverse church. 45 minutes away so they were driving there every week but that's a long drive every week that gets a little bit expensive yeah eventually they said you know what let's go to the black congregation and i don't think they described it like that right but they said let's let's go to this church and they were they were they were welcomed with open arms and so a lot of times we make these assumptions we make assumptions we just assume And maybe sometimes that can be the case. I think more often or not, it's not the case. Um, You know, whether it's me coming out there to preach or you coming here to Texas to preach, um, you know, but those are those are some barriers that we have to overcome. And those barriers could just be our our own mindset. So, you know, if you're thinking about um, if you're thinking about trying to break through some of these barriers, if you're thinking about, you know, trying to build bridges again. Don't don't decide you're going to go to a congregation. Or let me take this back. You, the decision should always be based upon the truth. Now I'm also thinking, what if maybe you're you're white and you know the congregation that's nearest to you, they're they're preaching the truth. It's an all black congregation. Well, what benefit or what good might you be able to provide by you saying, you know what, I'm going to go here? Yeah. Uh, and vice versa, right? Because you don't really see that too often. Um, you don't really see, you know, unfortunately that mixture. And so that'd be one thought that I would have, uh, of making sure that we break down some barriers. Another thought that I would have when it comes to, you know, especially young people, uh, hold each other accountable. You know, the examples you just shared with me, those are interactions taking taking place among God's people. So somebody are, people are hearing these things being said and done. And so we need to hold one another accountable. And and that's hard, I think. And that's why I think in Galatians 2, he said fearing the party of the circumcision. circumcision, And that was an apostle. That's Peter of all people. But yeah, after he got hit
0: in the head with the sheep three times <laughs> and got driven by the spirit into Cornelius's house, right? I mean, like, yeah. surely he'd woken up now. Well, he's still got a problem with
1: it. Yeah. I, the other thing too would be, how we think and look at one another, you know, learning to, to think the best. I've said that a couple of times. Sometimes that's hard to do. Uh, And that can happen in a variety of ways. It can happen in a variety of ways. And so, you know, I think that's something that we all can do individually. Uh, And then really examining our hearts. Like, you know, if you see a a young black man dating a young white woman, you know, how do you respond or what do you feel when you see that? Yeah, that makes people uncomfortable. And the reason and the question is why? Why does that make people uncomfortable? Or if you see a white man and a black woman, why are you? Why are you uncomfortable with that? And and maybe there's something there, right, uh, that you could explore and look at a little bit more. Because um, that's a big issue as well.
0: There's definitely uh, something there. Yeah,
1: yeah, there's something there. And, and so really finding out what it you know, why is that? Um, so those are some thoughts. What about you? What do you have? Well, so,
0: I mean, this, this sounds so incredibly obvious, but I think it probably needs to be said. Um, don't discriminate with the gospel and don't discriminate with your fellowship with brethren. Um, yeah, think about it this way. Um, we ought to make it our aim in church um, and in evangelism. We ought to make it our aim to reach the people in our community. Yeah. All of them not just the ones who look like me or talk like me or are as wealthy as I am, as the people of God, it ought to be our goal that the church we are a part of looks like racially the community that we live in. Um, And if it doesn't, I need to ask myself why Um, if I've been in, if I'm a part of a a church that uh, that has a long history uh, of racism. Well, I can't just say, well, we're past that now and we don't, we, we would accept anybody our doors are open for anybody when they walk in. Now, I'm gonna have to Jesus doesn't say wait for people to come to you. Mm-hmm. He says, Go make disciples. So I'm gonna have to take the initiative to go out and reach these people that are in my neighborhood or that are in my community where we where we come together and work.
1: And and you just touched on something too. Even when they do come into the building. Right. Where we, you know, we we make them as comfortable as possible. Again, I remember a brother. He he shared this with me. It was in the mid '80s. He watched my the the forum I did at the at the West Side Church in Irving, Texas, in 2017. He was there, and he shared with me back in the '80s. I, I think it was right after he may have been converted. He walked into a building. It was you know predominantly white congregation. There was no welcome. Yeah. Uh, it was just how can we help you. You know, so you, you know, you can pick up on things. I don't think I've ever said, Hey, how can I help you? You know, I, Hey, look, we'd love to help you. You know, what, you know, are you interested in a Bible study? You know, come on in, come sit next to me. Uh, all of that matters. All of that is important. And that, that, that really goes a long way. I had another thought and I just, um, it just kind of left my mind. So hopefully you we'll-
0: get it, share it. But I want to tell you a quick story about this that I think relates to the topic. Okay. when I was in South Alabama, I visited church there a good bit. Um, That was all white church had always been to my knowledge, had always been historically uh, a majority, if not entirely all white church. There was a brother there at the church who um, in the civil rights movement, they had had a preacher, a white preacher who was there who wanted to go out and march with the people in the town who were marching for civil rights. And this brother had literally threatened him that if he was to go out and do that, he was going to hurt him or get him fired or, or like, um, but by the time I got to the church, this brother was very a much older man. Um, and, uh, this is, this just is an inspiring story to me and it gives me hope too. um, you know, so by the time I got there many, many years later, 50 years later or something, yeah. um, Whenever there was a person of color who came to visit that church, and I brought friends of mine who were people of color there to that church, and whenever they came to that church, he was the first one at the door, hugging them, (laughs) shaking their hands, loving them, and and telling them, hello, we're happy to have you. Um, He had changed. By the grace of God, he had changed, which I just want to say from this from that. Maybe you're hearing this and, you, and you've been a part of the problem and you begin to look back and you say, wow, I've done some things that really have built some barriers. It's not too late. As long as you have breath, it's not too late to start doing the wrong thing, to start doing the right thing. It's not too late to turn back, to become a bridge builder. Um, and I'll tell you, like people that I brought to that church felt so they, they had no idea <laughs> about this man's history.
1: Um, and, and that's, see, that's the optimism that I think is so important as well. And and don't we see that with Peter? We yeah. see that with Peter. Look, Peter made some mistakes. Yeah. And I don't know how patient we would have been with Peter if he was alive today or if he was a part of one of our congregations, right? I mean, he made some big mistakes, but those mistakes show us something else. He preached on the day of Pentecost, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And yet it still took more than one sermon. That's it right. took... Interaction with others, the Gentiles. It took Paul. Uh, it took Peter. We got to give him credit. The heart that he had to repent, as the Bible says in Galatians two. He stood condemned. Paul went to him in a spirit of love and truth, and that's exactly what we need. And I'll say this too: you know, you want to break down racial barriers, or you want to build, a, or you want to uh, break them down and build bridges. Be very careful what you do on social media. Uh, I, you know, I know I'm the I'm the Facebook hypocrite. Uh, Caleb and I have talked about this quite a bit. <laughs> I'm on, I'm off, I'm on, I'm off. So by the time this is gonna be aired, it'll, it'll be over a month. And so the last time I deleted my Facebook account, I was sad. Like I, you know, like I felt like sad. Like oh man, what a miss out on everything. Now I'm mad. So I went from sad to being mad. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Social media is the worst way to communicate. It's it's below texting. It's below email. Certainly below face-to-face, Zoom, at the kitchen table, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And yet I see a lot of brethren resorting to that. You don't even know who's reading what you're posting. And, and it's so easy just to kind of, you know, fire off comments and things like that that's not going to help us that's to me that that's not building bridges the other thing i'll say too, caleb is you know i appreciate all that you're doing and, and what and, and what other brethren are doing and when you think about conservative brethren there's not a lot of black preachers uh you know i asked one of the sisters i said how many how many black conservative preachers do you know She pointed at me. You know, so while well, I can talk about race, we also need other preachers as well to talk about race. Yeah. And not only that, but let's have these kinds of discussions not just after a George Floyd event. Right. Or a Maud Aubrey. I'm glad that we are. Right. But what if we and and look, I I joke around with this as well, and and people now are so scared to joke around. But um, when I would have my tandem lessons, I down road with Max. We would always say to the audience, you know, tonight you're going to get the truth in black and white, and and that's what people are getting right here, right, with Ben and Caleb, right? They're getting the truth in black and white, and we can laugh about that, right? But I think there's something here. So Caleb, what if you and I did something on family, right? on finances it shouldn't just be about race it shouldn't just be about race because the more we do this the more brethren get comfortable the more the community sees oh man i mean look at look at what they're doing here this is really unique it really is unique because you don't see it in most churches and so let's be out and let's be the ones that that tell people look you know it is for all the gospel is for all and you know whether you're black or white it doesn't matter You know, we're you know, we're working together, um, you know, and so just little things like that, I think will go a long way to to building bridges and and to 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 really, you know, being more, you know, connected to one another.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, I'll just share a couple of things here. One one for this is for brothers, white brothers and sisters. um, And I just want to reemphasize this idea. If you want to be a bridge builder, then you have to learn to listen and you have to do lots of listening because until you can understand a person of color well enough that you can state their perspective in a way that they would agree with you, if you can't do that, then you need to keep listening. You see, a lot of times what's happening is we're talking past people because we don't actually understand where they're coming from. We don't actually understand why they feel this way we and because we don't understand we're shocked that they're so frustrated and they're upset and they're angry. Um, you know, what's the big deal? don't, didn't y'all already have a black president, you know? I mean, come on, what else do you want? Uh, you know, and it's because we just don't understand. So the key is to learn, to listen, to learn, to listen, to understand and not to reply. You know, one of the things that uh, my eyes were open to as I started getting to be in places where I was a minority is, is I heard I heard about one black preacher who said this to uh, to a white preacher one time. He said he said, "You know, the problem the problem with white people is, is that they don't understand that they have a culture." He says they 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 think they they don't think that they're doing it the white way. They they think they're doing it the right way, and because because in this nation. We are in the majority. It's very easy for us to start to think of the ways we, the way we do things, our traditions, our culture, as not being, as not being uh, like part of our culture, but actually like, no, this is the right way that things need to be done. And it's not until we listen and get to sit down with people who are different than us that we begin to, and not to like, not to like fight or to argue, but to understand, to not to reply, but simply to listen and empathize and understand where a person's coming from until we can do that. Um, there's not going to be any reconciliation. There's not going to be any, you know, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people of color, uh, are, tell me that they're just afraid to say anything, uh, to most of their white, white brothers and sisters. Um, let me read you something real quick that, uh, that one sister of color wrote to me. She said, she said, um, when it comes to the black experience in America, up until recently, the super majority of Christians I know displayed an unwillingness to even bridge the knowledge gap in my direction. I have bridged that gap simply by learning how to be socially accepted in a white congregation, a school, a neighborhood, etc. Black people bridge that gap all the time in a white country. But when I've tried to test the waters to see if I can fully share myself with white brethren, I was often dismissed though I had studies and anecdotes from my own life that led me to feel like I was unable to be my true self with anyone, but family. And I I hear things like that all the time from sisters and brothers of color who are saying, like, I feel like I can't be myself around other white brethren. And the only way that's ever going to change is if, is if we are willing to sit down and listen to one another to hear each other out, and to understand where people are coming from who are, who are different than us. So I think that's really big. And I'll just say on the flip side of that, we've touched on this already. For, for brethren of color, patience, uh, lots of patience, right? Especially right now, we need to remember that even the Apostle Peter had to be rebuked for his struggles with this. And that was even after he'd been smacked in the face three times with a sheet full of unclean animals and driven by the Holy Spirit inside the house of Cornelius. And there watched the Holy Spirit fall on these Gentiles in Cornelius' house. So uh, by this point, there was certainly no excuse for Peter to be acting like that. And yet he still stumbled on this and he had to be rebuked for not walking in step with the gospel. So, uh, so I think patient there, don't be afraid to rebuke white brethren when they act in ways that are not in step with the gospel, but also do it lovingly, just like the apostle Paul did and patiently letting them have the space to grow and change Um, because we're not going to change overnight. I mean, I, I haven't gotten anywhere close to where I am without making hundreds of thousands of mistakes, even on this particular issue. And, and, and so if, if, if we don't give people the space to grow and change, uh, we're not going to be able to bridge those gaps. We're not going to be able to to, to to be able to reconcile to one another.
1: Yeah. You made me think about James chapter one, you know, the idea everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, yes. and, and slow to anger. Amen. And, you know, we can be angry as well, but yep. we do not sin. So the world does not dictate how we respond. Uh, our king in heaven dic- uh, dictates yes. how we respond.
0: That's right. um the word Which, of god to, yeah sorry back oh, yeah, to your no, social media no. point um that's the problem in my view the problem is not that christians are on social media the problem is that we're using social media the way the world uses social media
1: and we're we're defining ourselves. or uh, let me say this it can be easy to start to define your brethren by what you're seeing on social yeah. media now people are saying things or sharing things for a reason but it just it just doesn't work and unfortunately sometimes it can actually feel like some problems are bigger than what they may actually be. It can just be a small percentage yeah. where, but if you're seeing this constantly, then you go see right. that brother or sister Wednesday or Sunday. Right. And and now your whole perspective has changed. And so I don't even know how many young people are on Facebook. I think it's more like uh TikTok and things like TikTok. that. But parents, yeah. And I'll say this to, to, uh, to the young people, um, uh, you know, live beyond your parents, go beyond your parents. I've had uh, brethren share with me, you know, that, and even neighbors, you know, that, you know, growing up, they heard certain words in their house, they heard the N word and things like that. And I've seen so many of those individuals really go beyond, you know, where they say, I'm just going to do different. Uh, And I like the idea of we can replicate or we can repudiate. That's right. That's what you see in so many of the stories, like of the kings. So even though you know one king was bad, the son had a choice. Was he going to go down the same path, or would he would he go down another path? So there's something important there for young people that all of us, and look, all of us have come short of the glory of God. Uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I'm thankful that you know that we that we have forgiveness. Uh, through Jesus Christ, with um, our hearts, the things that we may have said, uh, whatever the case may be. But I really like what you said there, too, where patience is going to be required. And let's not allow politics, lefting and righting to get in the way, social media. And I was actually very encouraged, even though I was exhausted after all the phone calls, that uh, people wanted to talk. Yeah, I think that's where it's at. So We may not change the entire world, but you have a conversation with one person, right? one person. And maybe for the young people, talk to some of the older brothers and sisters in the congregation. Learn about some of their experiences, black experiences, white experiences. Learn about everybody's experience. And there are so many, I think, teaching moments from that, that there's things that all of us can do. And so when we are are truly allowing christ to to reign in our hearts and to to follow in his footsteps. Uh, there's so much good and and you touched on something too, and we'll stop here in a minute, but evangelism, you know it, it's it, young people I've seen this and this is one of the coolest things I've seen you know what you mentioned bringing your friends to church services and young people converting their friends uh, to Christ. that's where it's at. and let's share it with everybody.
0: yeah, amen. Uh, a couple other things I'll, I'll add, to that I think are really critical here. Um, one is don't, don't be too proud to ask for help. Um, maybe you're having a hard time with a relationship with a brother or sister of a different race or a different ethnicity. Um, maybe you're having a hard time reaching out to a community of minorities in your town. Uh, reach out to those that can help you. There are people who are doing that work. Um, there are so many faithful people of God who are working to be, to build bridges and to do what's right. Um, and many of them would love to help, um, you know, would love, would be encouraged to be able to jump in and help you to do that better. So don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be too proud to say like, Hey, I need some help with this. Um, I need to, I need to work on this. And, yeah. and then, and then really, I mean, for, for those of us that are in churches that have, uh, people of other races, um, is in the minority there, um, don't discriminate in your fellowship with brethren. Like reach out to those people. If, if there's a minority in your group, um, whether that's black or white, whatever that is, or Hispanic uh, or Asian or, or some other ethnicity, um, reach out to those people and make sure that they feel welcome. That's what hospitality, the biblical, uh, m- the biblical teaching on hospitality, that's what it's all about. Loving people who are different than us, loving people who are strange to us the love of strangers. Um, So what that means is um, if I'm in a church with uh, just a few Hispanics or a few people of color um, and, and all the white brethren are always hanging out together. Well, I need to take the initiative to go and spend time with the brethren of color in that group, Um, have them into my home, go to their home, eat what they eat, learn to eat collard greens, candy, learn to learn to live the life that they live. Um, You know, you can't, I mean, so many, so many barriers get broken down when that happens. If you can share a meal together and eat with somebody what they eat and live in their home, people like that want to share their whole life with you. Yeah. And you'll see, you'll, you'll see things change. Yeah. Um, but all of that means it takes risks. I would say that on the other side too. Uh, when all the brethren of color are spending time together because it's a much safer space to be in, mm. take the risk be willing to risk and go out and work on developing relationships with people who are different from you and love them and encourage them and admonish them and rebuke them. I realize there are going to be times, particularly for for minorities, there are going to be times where you need to, you need to, you need to take a break from that. You need to get some, you need to get some quality time with God to get encouraged and strengthened because that work is difficult work. Um, Bridge building is always going to be difficult work. Um, But, but, but take that time Get reconnected with God, rest with the Lord, and and let the Lord strengthen you and fill you up so that you can go out and do that work. Because ultimately, that's where all of this comes from. We learn to be bridge builders from God who sent Jesus to build a bridge from heaven to earth. Jesus came down and He died on a cross so that we could be reconciled all in one body back to him. And so if we want, if we want that, if we want hit God's dream to be realized, then it's got, and it's got to start there with me, me being filled up by the love. Yeah, I may be more, I may be much more sinful than I realized, but I'm also much more deeply loved than I ever realized too. And I know that because Jesus went to the cross. So just because I'm a minority, just because I may be a person of color, just because other people in my church don't value me or don't appreciate me or don't love me the way that they ought to, I am deeply loved by God. I am deeply appreciated by him. And if, and if I'll let my relationship with him be strengthened day by day, it will empower me to, not, to be able to go out and serve and love others who may be unlovable. Who may be really hard to love in return? Who may be really difficult for me to actually have relationships with? But because the Lord loved me when I was so difficult, uh, when I was so miserable, when I was an enemy, He loved me. That inspires me to go out and love my enemies and love those who are difficult to love as well.
1: Amen. Amen. I'll uh, I'll just say this: uh, I think we, you and I could talk all night. Uh, yeah. Subject. Uh, And it's good. I I appreciate you, man. And I love you very much. And I think one thing for us in this and what we're going through right now in 2020 is to to really keep our minds focused on on things that are good. Uh, Think about Philippians chapter four. And you know what? I've seen so many good things from brethren and we can choose to focus on all the negatives, but there there's still so much good. Uh, whether it's uh, the conversations I've had with people and the conversations I've heard other people have hours and hours of conversations Uh, that takes a lot of energy. Uh, But there are so many good brethren uh, who are doing so many great things and who are looking to listen and looking to learn and looking to share. And it can be very easy that language in Galatians two carry it away. You know, even great men like Barnabas were carried away by the hypocrisy of of Peter and others. And so we got to be careful that we don't become carried away. And and bitterness can easily creep in that can totally change, if not careful, our relationships to one another. I think about Jacob and Esau and how the uh, Edomites just were so bitter and and hateful towards uh, the Israelites for, for centuries. And while there have been some, uh horrific things, many horrific things that have taken place in this country, you know, um not allowing that bitterness um to to settle and just to say, you know what? You know, that, that's it. And and cutting everybody off. That's that's never gonna work. And so what you just said, you know, knowing how much we are loved by God, uh that Christ died for everybody, um, you know, the love that we show to everybody else. Uh, the way that we interact to everybody else, the kindness uh, that we display to to everybody black and white uh that 's how we can that 's how we can make a difference
0: yeah man just last my last thought on that um I think hope here is so important yeah. um we've got to remember that one day we will be in a nation where we will not be judged by the color of our skin but by the content of our character. One day we will be in a nation that is multi-racial, multi-ethnic, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue under heaven, all gathered together with the Lord. And that's our hope. When the Bible talks about there being no Jew and no Greek in Christ, this is what it means. It doesn't mean that when Greeks became Christians, they started celebrating all the Jewish holy days and eating kosher foods. It doesn't mean that when I become a Christian, I'm going to lose my beigeness and abandon my culture. You know Um, what it does mean is that we're sanctified together in truth and we become more and more committed to God. A white Christian will have more in common with his black Christian brother than with his friends and family who do not know Jesus. And because of the unity, which only Christ can provide the same way a black Christian sister is going to have, is going to have more in common with a white Christian sister Uh, than with her non-Christian family. Even though we may be in a world where the old racial and tribal and social, and all sorts of other divisions exist, and these tensions continue to rise between them, if we're being sanctified in truth, we will soon find that we are Christians first, and American or African second. We are Christians first and black or white second. Christians first and a member of my biological family second. And my hope is that one day everybody's going to be treated mm-hmm. not, not by the color. They're not going to be judged by the color of their skin. They're going to be judged by the content of their character. And we're all going to be together with all of God's people from every race, nation, and tribe.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's what we're striving for. Yeah. That's what we're hoping for. That's
1: what we're working for. Keep preaching, Caleb. You got me fired up, man. I, uh, <laughs> you know, first Peter two up. and verse nine, this isn't a competition of like who gets the last word either. But in first Peter two and verse nine, you are a chosen race. That's right. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, That's a right. people for God's own possession, so that That's you right. may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So let's remember what kind of nation we are we are, what we're yeah. part of right now, right? In, in the body of Christ and who we are and what you are saying, this hope of what we had to look forward to one day of, of being in heaven for eternity and, and these issues and challenges not being there. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. So I appreciate you, man. I, I, I love your heart and I appreciate your encouragement for me or to me uh, and to my family and, and all the things that you're doing.
0: Yeah, you know, I love you, brother. Thanks for your conversation. Thanks for doing this. I know this is not it. A- not easy. And you're probably tired of having so many conversations like this, but I appreciate you doing it. Would you lead us in prayer as we wrap up?
1: Yeah, let's pray. Father in heaven, we know father that indeed you are the Holy one, that you are righteous, that in all things, you always judge fairly and, and right. We're thankful father that we know that you love us so much. You've demonstrated your great love by sending your son who died on the cross for all people. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to be a part of the body of Christ and being brothers and sisters uh, and being one, being together, the blood of Jesus Christ, the fellowship that we have with one another. We pray, Father, that this conversation, this study will impact others who hear it. We pray, Father, for the new generation, the next generation coming up. You'll give them courage courage that you reminded Joshua to have, and the courage, Father, to to stand and do what's right and to proclaim what is true, like Ezekiel had. Encourage, Father, to build bridges and to share your good news of your son and, and what he has done for all of us. Help us, Father, to love one another and help us, Father, to always seek your will, not our will, but your will. Thank you, Father, for Caleb. Bless him and his family. And thank you, Father, for all those who are striving to to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray.
0: Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: All right. Take care, Brillo. Thanks, man. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening today. I hope this Bible study has been a great encouragement to you. Thank you again, Caleb. I appreciate you very much as well. You can find Caleb in the Brooklyn area. The website where he preaches is thewaybk.com. That is thewaybk.com. And be sure to check out my website, benjaminlee.blog, where you can find all the other podcasts along with blogs and other motivational resources like books. Take care and God bless. And remember, I can do and so can you.